Hallo, testing, testing. Very uh, good morning to all of you. Uh, it's been two weeks, or actually a week or more, that I haven't been here in service. I was here to celebrate communion and flew off for a family vacation. It was also an eventful time. Some of you may have heard that I passed my doctoral dissertation exam. So, uh, you know, praise the Lord for that. But I tell you, it's been a long journey. Some have asked, when did you begin? I dare not say because it's such a long <laughs> journey to get to where I did. And, uh, uh, you know, I felt that I was plagued by what is commonly called the imposter syndrome. You know, people who go through uh, this, it's, it's not uncommon. You sometimes feel, am I a fraud? You know, <laughs> and wonder, are you writing anything of any worth? And, 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 and it uh, was something that I struggled with all throughout this journey. And in, in some ways, coming to the study of Romans has been interesting. Romans, of course, we have picked up not as in intentionality, but because it happens to be the readings through the lectionary at this point of time. And I thought it's always helpful sometimes to follow a train of thought, you know, to read uh, not just piecemeal, but um, um, to, to try and draw uh, truths from God's Word and, and do it uh, fairly systematically. But we get now to chapter 8. And if you know all that has gone before, it's easy for us to think, you know, how uh, Paul lays out the foundation and points out that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet God's grace is available to all. And uh, what Christ has done to redeem us from the, the, the destiny that uh, each of us fully deserve. You know, the wages of sin is death. But what Paul talks about is about the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ and then last week, I heard Sean uh, did a good job of uh, um, unpacking Romans 7, which, you know, uh, the reformers, especially Martin Luther, grabbed a hold of and, and, and understood that as Christians, although we are redeemed, although we are saints, we are also sinners at the same time. That this uh, war that goes on between um, who we are in Christ and who we are in the flesh is often uh, pulling us in different directions. And so when we get to chapter 8, it's easy to think, okay, now that we know what it is, let's now live the life that God called us to live. And you would think that it, chapter 8 is about sanctification. In other words, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. But actually, if you read through chapter 8, you see that what it's about is about the security of those who are, uh, of us who are Christians. And, you know, that's why it starts here in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That despite the Romans 7 reality, that, you know, despite the fact we still fall short of God's standards, because of what Christ has done, there is now therefore no condemnation. Even if you feel like you're an imposter, there is therefore no condemnation. Right? That's what Paul is trying to lay out here. And let me unpack. Because, you know, he understood. Why did he have to say this? He understood that, humanly speaking, condemnation always rears its ugly head. Time and time again, the self-doubt, you know, is, is strong in us. So he has to 
point out, for the law of the spirit of life, in verse 2, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he uh, uh, is pointing out what uh, the law truly is. Actually, Romans 7 is not so much about who we are as human beings. It's not about anthropology. But it's really mostly about the place of the law. Now, you know, sometimes people give the law short shrift and think, you know, we want to do away with the law. But Paul had to point out that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is God's divine word to us that it is meant for us and it is good and it is righteous and it is holy. But the problem Paul points to is the fact that the law in and of itself cannot justify, it cannot sanctify us, it cannot make us become, it has no power to make us uh, obey that which it commands. Right? The law in and of itself has no power. In fact, you know, earlier in Romans 5, Paul says the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And, and this is human nature, right? Without the law, sometimes we will go along our merry way, but then when the law rears its ugly head, you know, because of our rebellious hearts and spirits, there's a tendency for us to then uh, uh, transgress the law, to disobey the law. I was telling the uh, uh, group yesterday, and I've used this illustration a few times, but I, I, I don't apologize for it because it's, it's a wonderful illustration of this very verse. There was a church, uh, church, hotel, <laughs> hotel built in uh, Galveston, Texas that was on a pier that jutted out into the Gulf of Mexico. And as they were completing this, you know, one of the uh, um, hotel staff, the management staff, thought to themselves, oh dear, what happens if people come to the hotel and decide to fish out of the hotel windows? You know, it'd be terrible. You can imagine all the snarls and uh, the difficulties. And at the ground floor as a restaurant, you know, it wouldn't be very appetizing to see a fish flapping and, you know, rising up uh, uh, in front of you. So they decided they would put signs. It's a true story, all right? <laughs> they put signs in all the hotel windows saying, no fishing allowed out of the hotel window. Hotel opened, guess what happened? All of a sudden, there were people deciding to cast their rod outside the hotel window. Now, I don't know about you, I wouldn't check into a hotel, even if I were an avid fisherman, ever think of trying to fish out of the hotel window. But this is an example of how the law increases the trespass. It didn't cause me to be rebellious, but my rebellious heart, it puts the idea into our mind, you know. And, and, and that's precisely what Paul understands, that the law in itself is impotent. It cannot do anything to change. So he continues in verse 4, so that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk according to the flesh, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's pointing out that ultimately it is the Spirit that enables us to walk in the way God would have us walk. I want to uh, make a, a note of this that, you know, sometimes we read flesh and spirit and we, we think 
you know, Paul is trying to talk about our flesh and our spirit. But that actually uh, um, sort of division comes from Greek philosophy. It's not Christian and it's certainly not biblical. Uh, and in fact, you know, um, um, Gordon Fee makes a very strong case that every time Paul talks about the spirit, he's talking about the spirit of God, not about human spirit. You see, because uh, uh, Greek dualism tries to divide spirit from flesh. And the idea that everything spirit is good, anything spiritual is good, and everything that is material or flesh is considered bad or corrupt. You know, and that lends itself more from uh, um, the Greek thinking rather than Christian thinking. So Paul is not distinguishing between our human flesh and our human spirit. He's making the point that if you want to be uh, a person who lives out the law in righteousness, you know, it's about walking in the Spirit. John Stott, in his uh, commentary on Romans, points out this. By sarks or flesh, the Greek word uh, that's translated as flesh is sarks, Paul means neither the soft muscular tissue which covers our bony skeleton, nor our bodily instincts and appetites, but rather the whole of our humanness viewed as corrupt and unredeemed. Our fallen, egocentric human nature, that was uh, Luther's favorite description of uh, uh, human nature deeply curved in on itself, heart curved in on itself, right? Uh, or more briefly, the sin-dominated self. That's why, you know, John Gertzner, uh, another biblical scholar, loved to say that what separates us from God is not our sin, but our damnable good works. Because good works in and of themselves, done in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own motivation, are not good, really. Because like it or not, our own selfish uh, ulterior motives often taint everything that we do uh, without God. And they ultimately keep us from God because, you know, it, it, it leads often to self-righteousness and, and, and uh, uh, self um, uh, sufficiency or independence from who God is and what God wants for us. More contemporary writer Anne Lamott speaks about this uh, human condition like this. Everyone is screwed up, broken, clingy and scared. Even the people who seem to have it more or less together. They are much more like you than you would believe. So try not to compare your insides to the outsides. Right, uh, uh, more so maybe with uh, the young people, but I think us old people are not exempt because we are also on social media. <laughs> the tendency of how you compare yourself and you think your life is so horrible and their life seems so perfect, right? Because we compare our insights to their outsides, and that's why we are plagued with condemnation. But Paul says there is now no condemnation. Why? He continues then in verse uh, or going back to verse three. It's because for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. See, from first to last, it is God who is at work. God's grace justifies. But God's grace also sanctifies. Also enables us to live the life He's called us to uh, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, said this, that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. That what he begins, he will complete. 
in us. And that's why he goes on then to point out, you know, this mindset change that is needed, that we are to, in verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You know, and it is uh, basically why we are called, all of us as Christians, to live that Spirit-filled life. You know, the Holy Spirit is given so that we may set our minds on the things of the Spirit. It's not something that we uh, do in and of ourselves or we can, you know, force ourselves to think in that way or to change our own minds, but really about God doing His work. A couple of weeks ago when uh, Reverend Jeremy Joe came to preach, he pointed out that Christianity, the truth of Christianity, is not about good or bad people becoming good which is the common refrain, you know, when people think about religion, they think religion is about helping bad people become good. But Christianity, the root of the message of the cross is this, that God is in the business of helping dead people become alive. God is in the business of raising the dead. You know, and I think this is, if we were to follow through the series in Romans, I, I checked the lectionary and uh, um, uh, when we get to Romans 12, uh, uh, Bishop Logi King will be here for confirmation and it's a combined service. So I'm not sure he's going to be preaching off of Romans. So, you know, I thought, um, why not talk about that, right? Romans 12, we all know, verse 1 begins, Therefore, by the mercies of God, right, he pleads with the Roman Christians, present your bodies, uh, Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, for this is your reasonable worship. This is your acceptable worship, right? What is the problem with the living sacrifice? It can always hop off the altar when it wants to. <laughs> and how often does that happen? You know, the tendency for us to, you know, get up off the altar instead of putting ourselves down there. That's why Paul points out, he says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is uh, 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 the root of the human condition that Paul is addressing. You know, that's the, the, the very... Uh, 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 issue which Jesus also identified when he talked about the parable of the soils. You know, the condition of the heart uh, reflects the fact that, you know, uh, our minds can are often set on the flesh. And this whole uh, uh, mindset is actually hostile to God. I was sharing with the young people because there is a pernicious lie. Pernicious lie in that it is something that is uh, um, poisonous. And it's uh, almost irreversible in many ways, which goes around that says this, you know, pursue authenticity. And in being authentic, be your true self. If this is who you are, live it out in the way you ought to live it up. And it's a lie because, you know, it is the flesh that we will have a tendency to want to live out, which ultimately leads to death. It cannot please God. 
And as I was reflecting on it, you know, we maybe older folk may think, oh, not so bad, <laughs> right? We're not uh, uh, in that sort of mode of thinking. But, you know, we too also oftentimes need a mindset change. You know, as much as uh, our, our children are pursuing authenticity, we have become masters of duplicity. Now, it sounds terrible, but the reality is that we become masters of putting forward a front, portraying ourselves better than we really truly are, because appearances matter. You know, but Christianity and the gospel tells us that we must confront ourselves with the truth. I mean, that's why in our uh, communion service we have the confession, general confession, not only communion, but all the services that we meet as Anglicans, right? Uh, um, uh, a friend was pointing out the other day and he was talking to someone else, but I happened to be listening in and, and he said something which I really uh, uh, grabbed me and he pointed out to them that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And grace and truth are inextricably linked for the Christian. He was challenging them to be truthful about their condition, about their behavior, about the ways in which they had done things, coming before God, making a clean slate. Because when you do that, maximum grace pours in. When you hide a part of yourself and you refuse to acknowledge the sin that is in your life, there is no forgiveness. And the weight of that guilt will crush you. But the flip side of it is also true, that because He is full of grace, we as Christians can come before Him with truth and be honest and lay ourselves bare before Him because we know He loves us. Right? That God has sent His Son for us. That's why, you know, Paul or, or Jesus Himself tells us that if any man follows me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That we are to be crucified with Christ. We are to die, i.e. surrender to Him. The passage concludes verses 9 and you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Pointing out that, you know, all of us as Christians have the Spirit of God at work in us. Because the Bible tells us none of us can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, right? So He is already at work in us. And despite the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, God brings us to life by the Spirit. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. We can be honest before God. We can lay our lives down in front of Him. We can die literally to Him because the God that we worship, the God that we place our faith and trust in is a God who raises the dead. That is what He's all about, that we can confidently surrender to Him. 
Let me close with a story of a person who lived uh, some years ago. A young man below the age of 30 who had accomplished everything that could be accomplished. He lived in all the urban centers of his day. You know, it would have made every list as the top 10 cities uh, of, for young adults to live and, and, and operate. And it, it, he didn't, but if he had Instagram, he would be crushing it. You know, be posting your best life now, <laughs> hashtag. You know, and, and uh, showing how wonderful his life is because he was in a long-term relationship with a woman he loved. He had friends who were willing to stay up late and discuss the meaning of life. His professional network was such that, you know, these were cultural influencers who could pick up the phone and speak to the emperor anytime. Well, no phones, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he, you know, had the audience of the emperor. He had attended lectures hosted by spiritual celebrities, engaged in dialogue with philosophical thought leaders. And he actually attended a church that was uh, 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 pastored by one of the most influential pastors of the day. And yet, he was a restless young man. He was plagued with anxiety. He was struggling with the way in which he was actually living his life because he could not keep up with the demands of his high-pressured career. His life was, you know, on the outside looked very good. But on the inside, he was a mess. Because you know the uh, saying, right? Bad company corrupts good character. Some of his friends were not exactly good company. But the fact of the matter is he saw himself that he was not even a person of good character. That his sins really plagued him. His hormones ran uh, rampant. He had uh, wild, uncontrolled sexual appetite which he often gave uh, a license and, and permission to exercise. Fortunately, he had a godly mother <laughs> who prayed for him, who encouraged him. And the story is told of how one day he was in a garden in Milan and he heard a child's voice that said, take it and read. Take it and read. And what he had in his hands was the Bible open to the book of Romans. This person was none other than Augustine of Hippo, who became a doctor of the church and, and ultimately, you know, uh, has written so much of uh, theology that today we understand and, and even uh, through him really fully understand and uh, interpret the Apostle Paul. You know, that the book of Romans opened his eyes to the good news of the gospel, telling him who he is, that he's more sinful than he ever dared believe but that he was more loved and forgiven than he ever dared imagine. And in this, you know, he, he wrote a, a, a book which was kind of a, a, a memoir of sorts entitled Confessions. Now, when I was an undergrad in uh, studying in the U.S., they require you to take humanities, even though I was studying communications. Right? They want you to have a breadth. And I was required to read Confessions. I uh, honestly tell you, I didn't really read through it. I managed to get hold cliff notes be able to answer all the questions that needed to be answered and put the book on the shelf but of course when i began studying theology i went back to it and actually there's a new translation by um, um, sarah rundon i think is her name much more accessible and this is her quote which is well known to us from um, um, book one of confessions right at the beginning he says this in yourself you rouse us 
you being God, giving us delight in glorifying you. Because you made us with yourself as our goal. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. We live in a restless age. And I don't know if any of you have come today with a restlessness in your heart. But I hope that as you have heard God's word, and especially Paul's encouragement that there is now therefore no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that you also at the same time hear the invitation of Jesus, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes in a time of prayer. Take a moment to reflect on God's word, to ask the Lord, ask the Lord what it is He is saying to us. Whether we are a long-time Christian or maybe we are just someone who's still seeking the truth, I believe God has a word for you today. That his invitation remains. That if you want to find rest for your souls, come to him. If you want to change your mindset and find joy and peace, come to him. Invite him into your life in full measure, invite the Holy Spirit to come afresh. And if that's your prayer, I invite you to pray this prayer, either out loud or in your hearts with me. We pray, God, our Heavenly Father, I come before you laid out as an open book. I acknowledge that I have been going my own way. That I fall so far short of your standards and even my own. That I know I need someone to save me. Thank you that you have provided a solution. That your word tells us that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. By sending your son, Jesus. And even as he has taken the condemnation that is rightfully mine upon himself. I receive his free gift now of righteousness peace, and truth. I'd like to invite you, Lord, to come into my heart afresh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing that I may be a person whose mind is set on the things of the Spirit. That I may live life as it's meant to be lived that abundant life that Jesus promises each and every one of us. 
And if you've prayed that prayer, let me conclude by praying a prayer for you as well. Father, I thank you for those who have opened their hearts afresh to you, whether they've been long-time Christians or maybe just for the first time today. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that you seal that decision in their hearts. Give them the courage, Lord, to speak about this to someone else, a trusted friend, a family member, a confidant, someone who already knows you and is able to guide them in their own journey of faith. And I pray, Lord, that for the rest of us, that you continue to bring this truth home into our hearts. Help us to live in the light of this good news so that we may truly go out into the world to proclaim uh, this uh, wonderful news of your love for us to a world that's in desperate need of it. These things we ask and pray in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen.